Hello and welcome. I'm Uncle Sean, and today we are continuing our reading of Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Kennelly. Today we're reading Chapter 3, entitled The Girl. So without further ado, let's dive in. Thankfully, the little man gave Nicholas a place to sleep and left him alone the rest of the evening. The next morning he awoke from the first night of uninterrupted sleep that he could remember. Best of all, no strange dreams of the woman in white. For a moment, Nicholas thought he was back in Parthia, until he realized that he was sleeping in some sort of underground cave on a bed of straw, with a constant stream of little bearded men visiting his bedside, calling him the Bringer. He could already tell that staying with the Alpharine was not an option. While he was grateful for all they had done for him, he feared he might slip again and reveal more than just dreams, and if that meant leaving, that was what he would have to do. Rising from his bed, Nicholas gathered his belongings, discarded his stained white robes, and pulled on his red tunic, leather breeches, and red cloak. <sighs> Felt good to wear them again. He remembered the night Malkiera gave them to him and how much it had meant to him. Nicholas had never fit in with the other children in the Magi Order. Where they excelled in areas such as language or mathematics, Nicholas was gifted in athletics and combat, something that did not endear him to any of the elders. Until now, he could not openly wear his father's cloak and battle garments, and certainly not his weapons. The Magi despised violence and would not abide such instruments of death, even if they did save their lives from time to time. But now that he was on his own, he would no longer have to hide who he was. When he announced he was leaving, the Alpharim tried everything they could do to get him to stay. Amos and Enos brought him their sweet ginger star bread. Caleb read to him an epic poem he had written about the bravery of the seventh brother, whoever that was, and his noble quest for the northern kingdom. Jeremiah even tried to present the director to Nicholas again, but he refused to take it. He knew the moment he claimed the glowing illusion, he would be tied to this lost band of performers, and he had no intention of staying. Arriving at the surface, Nicholas bathed in the sunshine of a new day and greeted Apollo, sharing a piece of star bread with his loyal friend. The men followed close behind, carrying Nicholas' belongings, and though they offered to help, he could tell they were in no hurry. Impatient with their deliberately sluggish pace, Nicholas retrieved the remainder of his belongings, tied them to his saddle, and mounted Apollo. The Elfarine gazed at him with downtrodden faces. It almost made Nicholas reconsider his decision to leave, but he knew he could not stay. Do not look so sorrowful, brothers. Be glad, Nicholas said. Fate may yet bring us together one day. May it be so, Jeremiah said, and when that day comes, you may find us here among the cedars of Lebanon. Many thanks for all you have done, Nicholas said. Apollo, on to glory! The horse accelerated into a fast gallop before anyone else could find a reason to detain Nicholas. Looking over his shoulder at the little man one last time, Nicholas felt guilty about leaving them so soon. After all, they had nursed him back to health, and he would always be grateful for that. Yet when they talked about dreams and brought out their magic tricks, he wanted to run. The only thing he could not explain away was the manner in which his new arrow wounds had healed. Nicholas knew how long such wounds took to heal, and it was more than a few days. He wondered if they had lied to him. Maybe they used some sleeping potion to keep him from waking until it healed so they could convince him of the magical powers of the director. One thing was certain, the whole episode would make a very entertaining tale to tell. 
As he descended from the slopes of the mountains, Nicholas spotted a village on the coast and headed towards it. The warmth of the midday sun heated the air, and he stopped at a stream to quench his thirst. Squatting down, he drank deeply from the cool waters as Apollo munched contently on grass growing on the banks of the stream. The water felt good. He looked downstream as he pondered his future, and then he saw her. A cloaked woman, quietly venturing from the woods, leading a black horse. She removed her hood and breathed deeply while her horse drank from the waters. Sunlight filtering through the trees gave her long red hair and fair skin a celestial glow. Nicholas was spellbound. If this is a dream, Nicholas said to himself, may I never wake. Apollo broke the trance and nudged Nicholas, nearly knocking him into the stream. Easy, boy, he said as he patted Apollo's muzzle. We have guests. Looking back downstream, he realized a bit too late that his voice had carried. The woman had directly at him, her face frozen with fear. With a grace that even Nicholas could appreciate, she swooped up on her horse and dashed back into the woods in one fluid move. Well, wait, Nicholas shouted. Nicholas swiftly mounted Apollo and gave chase, racing along the shallow stream and turning up the bank where the woman disappeared. He saw her through the trees and chased her over several hills, steadily gaining ground. The woman rode straight into yet another grove of trees. Nicholas followed and charged into the grove to find nothing. Only the calls of a few birds punctuated the natural silence of the shady grove. Nicholas scanned the trees, looking for some sign of movement. Finally, he heard a low horse whinny and found the black horse behind a thicket of bushes. Riderless. Puzzled, Nicholas rode toward the horse to investigate. He leaned over to pet the animal's neck when, crash! A jug of water shattered against the side of his head, knocking him to the ground. Nicholas looked up at the woman. Their eyes met momentarily before she smacked Apollo's rump and sent him charging away. The woman was more of a girl and not much older than he was. Please, Nicholas, as he staggered his feet, I mean you no harm. Reaching her horse, the girl pulled a large stick from a bundle of firewood across the horse's back and launched it in reply. Though he felt a bit woozy, Nicholas managed to dodge the flying stick. Seeing the mess, the girl launched another with even more force and intent. Nicholas gauged the throw and the spin and grabbed the stick out of midair. The girl's eyes went wide with shock at his abilities. Looking unsettled, the girl swung up on her horse and raced away. Apollo! Nicholas yelled as he tossed the stick aside and whistled for his horse. Make haste! Apollo trotted to his side and Nicholas jumped back on, determined more than ever to catch up with this girl. She was unlike any girl he had ever known. Most girls he knew rarely saw the inside of a stable, let alone knew how to ride. And she was good. And beautiful. And, unlike the girls at the Magi compound, she was shorter than he was. He had to catch up with her. Quickly mounting Apollo, Nicholas continued the pursuit at top speed, nearly knocking himself off his mount a few times as he dodged tree branches. He would catch the girl on the black horse and speak to her, if she would allow it. The train leveled out a bit as he cleared one last grove of trees. A short distance ahead, he saw the girl galloping towards a road and raced Apollo after her. Gradually, he closed the distance between them. Nicholas smiled at his accomplishment. The girl reached the road ahead of him and rode toward a narrow stone bridge that crossed a shallow river. Seeing an opportunity to cut off her escape, Nicholas raced directly toward the river. The girl saw his approach and rode even faster down the road as Nicholas raced across the grassy landscape toward the bridge. For a moment, they rode side by side. He smiled at the girl. 
She grinned with hostility and threw another stick at his head, which he barely avoided. Not fair, he said. Determined to win the race, Nicholas pulled away and rode even faster on a direct course for the river. He hoped to cut her off at the other side of the bridge. As he reached the river ahead of her, Nicholas could taste victory. Water exploded with Apollo's every step. Nicholas looked up at the bridge and grinned, savoring his triumph. He had beaten her. Until Apollo stumbled. Nicholas flew through the air and hit the shallow river with a tumbling splashdown. Bolting up out of the water, Nicholas caught his tunic sleeve on a branch. He yanked his arm in anger and frustration, but the branch would not release its grip. Finally, he pulled himself free just as the girl galloped across the bridge and rode away. Nicholas, dripping with embarrassment, slapped the water in irritation. He grabbed Apollo by the harness and looked him in the eye. What were you trying to do? Drown me? Apollo whinnied in his own defense. And I thought you were my friend. Nicholas hoped to catch a glimpse of the girl when she reached the road, but there was no sign of her. Not even a trail of dust marked her swift get away. Dripping wet but hopeful, he raced down the road in pursuit. The road curved up and over several hills, dotted with a scattering of olive groves, rock outcroppings, and grassy fields. Not far away stood a walled city nestled next to the sea? Could he have really traveled this far? The warm waters of the Mediterranean glittered in the distance under the hot afternoon sun. It looked like the mirages Nicholas so often saw in the deserts of Parthia, but as he got closer, he realized it was no illusion. He was stunned by the vastness of it all. He had seen lakes and rivers before, but nothing like this. Endless waters that stretched to the horizon. Finally, as he crested a hill, he saw her, a distant black spot rapidly moving toward the walled city. With renewed hope, he rode as fast as Apollo would carry him. Riding over each rise and fall on the road, Nicholas' stomach churned, fearing he might lose sight of the girl. Then he spotted her riding the black horse through the arched stone gate of the city. He pushed Apollo even harder, determined to catch up with this captivating rider. He approached the city gate at full speed, but as he got closer, the Roman soldiers standing guard blocked his path with their spears. Nicholas pulled up just in time to shower the soldiers with dust. Uh, they were not appreciative and called him a red barbarian, warning him that the next time he rode up at that speed, he would be thrown into the hole. Uh, Nicholas had no idea what the hole was, but he did not want to find out. Nicholas dismounted and humbly begged their forgiveness. After a tense moment, moment, the guards stood aside and allowed him to pass. He thanked the guards profusely and respectfully walked Apollo through the arched stone gate into the village. Once within the wall, Nicholas mounted Apollo and surveyed the area for the girl on the black horse. The stone-paved streets ran in every direction and none of them straight. Every avenue was a narrow, vaulted maze lined on both sides with clay-brick dwellings that rose as high as the stone walls that protected them and directed by a, decorated by a scattering of awnings and overhangs that almost touched. His foreign clothing and unkept appearance instantly caught the attention of every person he rode past. The fact that he was wearing red did not help the matter. Their stares made Nicholas feel uncomfortable. Hearing the clatter of hooves, he rode up one street only to discover a donkey led by an old man hunched over with age. Turning up the street, Nicholas rode back to where he began. As he passed an alley, he caught a glimpse of black and raced up the narrow passage to find its source. However, as he reached the end of the alley, he found nothing but a group of old women in black robes protesting his speedy approach and the scare he gave them. 
The women's cries barely registered as Nicholas scanned left and right, searching for signs of the black horse and its beautiful rider. As he rode on, his nose was arrested by the smell of hot food, and for a moment, the grumbling in his stomach led the way up another street to a source of the delicious scent, a market filled with vendors and their wares. And the girl standing next to a stall with her horse. There was no way he would lose her now. Nicholas raced towards her, intent on catching up with the mystery girl. Yet in his zeal to reach his goal, he nearly trampled a small child in the street. The child screamed as Nicholas pulled Apollo to the side and narrowly dodged the boy. But Nicholas got ambushed by an overhang and tumbled to the ground. Hearing the scream, the girl stopped and came running to the child's egg. But when she spotted Nicholas, she practically flew to her horse and raced off. Am I that frightening? Nicholas asked himself as he remounted Apollo and gave chase. The winding streets were filled with carts, customers, and constant cross-traffic that Nicholas had to navigate while he kept his eye on the black horse ahead and ended its rider. And though the girl was fast, Nicholas was faster and was growing accustomed to dodging the overhangs and stray villagers across his path. Then the mystery girl entered a long alley void of pedestrians or obstacles. Nicholas had her now. There was no way out, and he was confident he could catch up to her horse and at least find out her name. As the mystery girl raced up the narrow path in a furious gallop, Nicholas gained on her with every stride. How he loved having a fast horse. The girl looked back nervously, anticipating his approach. Nicholas grinned and gave her a benevolent wave. Slow down, Nicholas yelled. I only wish to talk. The girl looked back for a moment, then turned and disappeared down a side street. Nicholas raced up the alley and into the street after her, but another horse and rider rode right into his path. In an instant, Nicholas pulled up and Apollo reared, dumping Nicholas onto the avenue in the middle of the village market. You fool, the other rider snarled. Watch where you ride. The rider was dressed in fine robes, sitting atop a white stallion. The man's portly belly let everyone know he had not missed a meal in ages. Nicholas took an instant dislike to him. Watch where I ride, Nicholas snapped. Who made you lord of the streets? A collective gas seized the market crowd and brought business to a halt. All eyes were on Nicholas. Before he could get up, Nicholas was surrounded by a squad of Roman soldiers, their spears pointed at his chest. Good answer, Nicholas said as he smiled sheepishly and put his hands up in surrender. The burly leader of the soldiers replied with a voice of authority. You ignorant barbarian. You just assaulted a member of the Roman... Senator Claudius, shouted a smiling, portly, white-bearded merchant who rushed in from his stall, putting a halt to the verbal lashing. What a great honor it is to have you here in our humble market. Please let me offer you some of my best wine. Man's sudden intercession threw everyone off balance. Nicholas froze, unsure of what might happen next. Claudius stared at the merchant, perplexed by the man's offer. I am not here to... As a gift, the merchant said. Claudius paused for a moment, looking even more befuddled. Then he raised his eyebrows and sighed in surrender. In that case, deliver the wine to my estate tomorrow morning. For a moment, Nicholas thought Claudius had forgotten all about him. Then Claudius turned on him. As for you, barbarian, if I ever see your face in Sidon again, I shall have the beast in my arena teach you some manners. Now keep your, Claudius motioned dismissively at Do Apollo, donkey out of my way. The soldiers broke out into hearty laughter as they resumed a protective formation around Claudius and his horse and continued down the street. With the tension broken, the market came back to life and business returned to normal. Nicholas rose and dusted himself off. 
As he gathered his things, he scanned his surroundings for any sign of the mystery girl. I can hardly believe it, the smiling merchant said. He stared at Nicholas with wonder. Heaven smiles on you today, my friend. Senator Claudius rarely shows such mercy. Nicholas huffed. You call that mercy? Then, remembering his manners, Nicholas paused and looked directly at the merchant. Forgive me. I am... I am in your debt. How can I repay your kindness? By getting out of town before he costs us any more wine, a young boy said, glaring at Nicholas. Jude, the merchant said as he turned on the boy, genuinely appalled at the boy's attitude. Nicholas ignored the comment and continued his visual search for the girl, hoping to catch sight of her or her black horse. This was not his doing, the merchant said to the boy. Besides, we have been seeking an audience with Senator Claudius, and now he will finally taste our wine. The merchant was too pleased with himself to realize that Nicholas was in another world, focused on his renewed search for the mystery girl, but she was nowhere to be found. Noticing Nicholas' attention was focused elsewhere, the merchant followed his gaze. He stood beside Nicholas, trying to figure out what Nicholas was searching for. Intensely focused, Nicholas turned and nearly bumped into heads with the merchant. Taking one more look, he sighed with disappointment. What is it you seek? the merchant said. If it is lodging, I insist you stay with us. Abe, you know nothing of this man, the boy said. I know enough, Abe, the merchant said. He turned back to Nicholas. Please, it would sadden my heart if you were to refuse. Nicholas hesitated for a moment. He hated relying on anyone, but... Once again, he found himself needing help. Oh, many thanks. I am in need of lodging this evening. However, I can only accept your gracious offer if you will allow me to earn my keep. Ah, no need to repay me, Abe said. The man offered his hand to Nicholas. I am Abraham, but most call people call me Abe. And this is my apprentice, Jude. Abe gestured to the boy beside him. He is my eyes and ears. I would be lost here in Sidon without him. Nice to meet you, Red, Jude said as he glared at Nicholas with smoldering hostility. Nicholas had seen that look before from more than one member of the Magi Brethren and their children, and in any other setting he would have left. Yet the jovial hospitality emanating from Abe more than overcame any negativity flowing from his apprentice. In many ways, Abe reminded him of the more uninhibited Melchior he had known as a small boy, a happier, more idealistic man who gave little care or concern to disapproving eyes or voices. Realizing he needed to introduce, introduce himself, Nicholas spoke up. I am Nicholas of the Magi, and I am most grateful to you both. Magi, Abe said with interest. I once met some Magi. Are you from the East? Yes, I hail from Parthian, Nicholas said. Parthian, Jude said. That explains a lot. Indeed it does, Abe said. It is good to know you, Nicholas. Once Jude and I conclude our business here and pack our wares, we shall be on our way. Having been recently elevated to prefect over the port city of Sidon, Krampus was eager to reach the garrison to see what he had inherited, but he knew he must first report to Senator Claudius. Reaching Sidon in the late afternoon, Krampus went directly to Claudius' estate. The sentries at the entrance recognized him and waved him through the gates of the sprawling property. The area was filled with row after row of very ordered olive trees, vineyards, and a multitude of slaves laboring in the sweltering sun. The crown of the property was the two-story, whitewashed villa with a red-tile roof that sat on a rise above the sea. 
The main building was flanked on both sides with very imperial-looking colonnades filled with statues and centered around a large round fountain. Krampus rode to the door of the villa and dismounted. He marched up the steps through the door and stopped at the desk of the soldier in charge of the watch. Where can I find Senator Claudius, Krampus said. I need to report to him immediately. And you are? The soldier replied. Your superior officer, Krampus replied with authority. Forgive me, Prefect, the soldier says. He rose to attention and saluted, clamping his right fist over his heart. We had no idea when you might arrive. Neither did I. Where can I find the senator? Out back, sir, in the garden. Very good. Carry on. Though he was initially offended, Krampus saw no advantage in reprimanding the man and continued into the house, his footsteps echoing in the empty hall. He proceeded through the building through a large triclinium filled with lounging couches arranged in threes for more formal dinners. The room smelled of meat and he smiled at the decadent thoughts he was entertaining. At the end of the room was an arched doorway that led outside and into the garden. The well-manicured garden was attended by several more slaves who worked the landscape as Senator Claudius stood next to a fenced-in pool at the center where two crocodiles floated. A young slave girl with long, dark hair held a plate of large fish, and Claudius pulled one by the tail, tossing it into the enclosure. A croc leapt up and caught the fish in its toothy mouth to the delight of Claudius. He reached for another fish as Krampus approached. Senator Claudius, Krampus said, and he clapped his right fist over his heart and bowed in a respectful salute. Claudius' smile instantly disappeared, replaced by an irritated grimace. He kept his back to Krampus, trying to ignore the interruption. Krampus pulled a sealed letter out of a leather travel pouch and held it out for Claudius. My letter of introduction from King Herod. Prefect, Claudius said with his back still to Krampus, you are late. I needed you here over a month ago. Herod detained me. I know what Herod did, Claudius said as he turned to Krampus to vent his anger. I also know you answered to Rome and not some puppet ruler. Is it true you helped him kill children? I did as ordered. Claudius tossed another large fish to the other crocodile, who caught it with a loud snap of his jaws and wolfed down the scaly morsel. Let us hope Augustus sees it that way. For now... You will reign in the chaos that constantly threatens my city. The slave girl craned as Claudius reached toward her and wiped his hands on her hair. The girl relaxed as he turned and motioned for Krampus to follow him inside. They walked through the triclinium into a large hall where a model of Sidon sat on four table legs. The model showed the current city with a planned addition of a lighthouse, shipyards, a gladiator arena, baths, an amphitheater, and a hippodrome for chariot racing. Claudius looked over his miniature city with pride. As you can see, Sidon will be a port of singular importance to the Empire, second only to Rome itself. I have already the support of much of the Senate. Claudius pointed to part of the map and continued. The lighthouse and the arena are nearly complete and the shipyards are underway. The baths are to be located in an older section here. He pointed to a section of small buildings. Your job is to relocate these residents. Most are delinquent in paying their taxes, so you will simply seize the property. The rest may need some convincing. Can I count on you to help them see the greater good? I can be very convincing. Excellent! Claudius smiled with delight. He dug through a pile of scrolls on a nearby table and handed Krampus one of the smaller scrolls. Take this to the garrison. 
It gives you command over the local vigil force as well as the local centuries. You have my authority to use whatever means necessary to collect the taxes and move those people. It shall be done. Cramus turned to go, but Claudius gave him one last bit of instruction. And Prefect! Yes, Senator, Krampus turned back to face his new master. Should you encounter a barbarian in red, would you please teach him a lesson in manners? I ran into him this morning, and he was, shall we say, less than cordial. It would be my pleasure, Krampus said with a grin. He bowed and exited the villa with a renewed sense of purpose. This would be the assignment that would bring him the recognition he thirsted for. Soon Rome would notice his qualities, and no barbarian or local villager would ruin his chances for glory. And that concludes Chapter 3 of Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Canelli. So glad you could join us, and tune in next time when we have Chapter 4. But until then, be strong, be kind, and share the hope.